different segments for our day. So I want to say a little bit about this topic and just kind of lay out a few themes for our day, kind of give you a sense of where we're going. Um, I think in one, from one perspective, our, our whole life can be seen as a flow of choices, you know, a process of decisions. And there's the whole range, right, from things that are seemingly mundane every, you know, day-to-day, like, what am I going to eat for lunch or do I want to take the bus or ride my bike, uh, to decisions that are clearly more far-reaching in their impact, sometimes um, ethical decisions or decisions on the kind of course or trajectory of our life. And when we, when we look at our life in this way, the quality of our decisions is going to determine where we end up. And one of the things that I hope to instill in you or communicate to you today is that that's more true internally than externally. Usually we think about our decisions being determining where we end up externally, the conditions of our life. But really, our decisions have the the biggest impact on where we end up inside, how we feel and how we experience things. One of the um, the great yogis of the last century, Yogi Berra, put it this way. He said, if you don't know where you want to go, you'll probably end up somewhere else. So where do we want to go? Not just out there, but in here. Where do we want to end up in our life? So the teachings of Buddhism and the whole path of practice in the Dharma uh, can be understood as uh, guidance in making wise choices. It's a whole system of practices and frameworks and tools for making choices that lead to less stress, more well-being, and a certain kind of inner freedom. And this is what's known as the Eightfold Path. Sometimes it's summarized as three different trainings that we train ourselves in developing an ethical sensitivity. So living with a quality of integrity, that we have some kind of guiding ethos and values for our life. Training in ethics or morality. Thank you, Paige. Training in meditation. Training in the stability of the mind. Learning how to work with the mind. Like you train for a sport or a, a, a music or an art. Training in meditation. And training in wisdom. Learning how to develop the capacities for seeing clearly in our life. And all of these work together to help us make better choices. When we, as, we, as we make choices um, that are more in line with this direction of well-being, wholeness, less stress, as we make choices that go in that direction, we start to experience those results. We're less stressed, we're more clear. The more clear we are, the more we're able to make better choices. The more we make better choices, 
the more we experience those results, and so on. And it, it continues like this in a cycle. So one of the fundamental principles that this path rests upon <clears throat> is called the, the teachings on karma, or uh, in the early Buddhist tradition, it's called kamma, which is the Pali version, the Sanskrit word karma. And put simply, this principle is that our actions have effects. Actions have results. You throw a stone in a pond, there's going to be a ripple. So karma or kama, that word literally means action, to do or to make. And the understanding is everything we do has an effect. It has a result. Not only on the world around us, it has a result on our own minds. And this is the innovation in Buddhist teaching, which is that the most direct result of our actions is the residue or the tendency that it leaves in our own heart and mind. Every action comes from a certain motivation or a certain intention. An intention of kindness or compassion or generosity or clarity, or an intention of greed, or hatred, or confusion, or jealousy. And it's this ethical intention, it's kind of the, the, the ethical valence of our action that determines the result that we experience in our own mind and body. This doesn't need to be some mystical kind of far-out thing. You can see it very clearly in your own experience. If you're angry at someone and you, so we we do the karma, this action that has results occurs in three ways. Through the things that we do, pretty clear. You know, if you steal something from a store, there's going to be a result if that's caught on camera. You're, you know, you can pay a fine, you might get put in jail. Through, through our words, if you say something kind, you say something hurtful, that's going to have a result. And through our mind, the, the thoughts that we think also have certain intentional quality to them. So if you're angry at someone and you, you nurse these thoughts of ill will and hatred, what's the effect of that on you? How does that feel? It feels awful to be caught in that state of, you know, hating someone. Who experiences the result of that first? We do. And not only that, the result is immediate in that sense, but there's also a longer reaching result, which is that everything we do reinforces a pattern. Our minds are built to learn, and they learn through repetition. They learn through doing things over and over again. So the more we do something, the easier it is to keep doing that. So the more we nitpick and fault find, the easier it is to do that. The more we notice another's good qualities or appreciate things, the easier it is to do that. So this is is karma. This is that principle of cause and effect in our own mind. Whatever we do, we have, to, we have to sit with the results of that. We have to experience it. 
One of the um, teachings of the Buddha that's often uh, quoted that's uh, kind of key in this is he said, what do I mean by karma? He said, intention is karma. That's what I mean by karma. That's what I mean by this kind of action. It's the intention. That's what produces the result in terms of our own um, state of mind and inner ecology. That's what we have to live with. So when we do things unintentionally, that means there isn't a karmic result. If you step on an ant by accident, there's no karmic result. That ant is going to be affected by it physically. There's going to be results externally, right? But if there wasn't intent internally, you're not creating seeds in your own mind for that. So I want to talk a little bit about how this principle applies and what the Buddhist understanding of decisions and actions are. And then lay out a little bit of a framework for our day. <clears throat> so in the Buddhist psychology, they, we, we understand action as having three components. So any action is composed of three parts. There's the intention, which is this motivation, where we're coming from, the quality of our mind or heart that's driving the action. This is where karma is created. This is where we can steer and shape our life inside and out. Then there's the execution we actually take the action, and how skillful are we in taking that action? How much wisdom do we bring to bear in the way we take that action, right? You can have great intentions, but if you don't have the right skill, you might not, it might not go the direction you want. So the second component is the execution of the action. The third component is the result, the immediate result, what happens, Right? As we'll explore this afternoon, where can we actually work? Where do we have the most control? One and two, right? This we have very little control over, the immediate result. Because there's always the context that we're working in, and there are too many factors. That's not in our control. So this understanding of action is key in starting to look at decisions, A wise decision, from my perspective and my own understanding of the Buddhist teachings, a wise decision is one that's made consciously, with awareness, that's rooted in wholesome intentions, it's rooted in good intentions, and it's made with care. So we're bringing a a certain quality of attentiveness and care and sensitivity to the, to the process of deciding and the decision itself. So depending on how we engage, depending on how we navigate decisions and choices in our life, <clears throat> certain things are going to be strengthened, certain qualities are going to be strengthened. The possibility is that we can learn in our life to uh, make this process of 
choosing consciously a practice that we can actually bring a lot of attention to it, a lot of investigation, a lot of curiosity and kindness, and that that brings a lot of benefits to us when we can do that. We have more confidence and clarity inside. Uh, We learn a tremendous amount about our own patterns, our habits, uh, our fears, what drives us. We start to learn and discern what our core values are, what our guiding principles are. When we adhere to those principles, uh, it brings a sense of uh, integrity and brightness to the mind, which has a very uplifting quality. When we make decisions a part of our practice and really bring attention to it in our life, um, we can start to steer. We can start to steer more inside and out and really shape our minds, shape where we want to end up. What kind of a mind do I want to cultivate in this life? Do I want to cultivate a mind of fear and confusion Do I want to cultivate a mind of confidence and clarity, of trust and stability? And ultimately, um, taking this on as a practice can bring more joy and more peace to our hearts. So how do we explore this? How do we start to actually kind of get a sense of how do I practice with this? What's the process? So... um, In practicing with this in my own life, and I'll I'll talk a little bit about how this kind of became a big part of my practice, I've um, developed a little bit of a template that we can divide decisions into five stages or phases. Um, And this is just a way of learning. This is a way of breaking something that's actually a process, that's actually a flow, breaking it down into different components so we can train ourselves and look at them. And so these are the five that are written up here. The first is awareness. So just being aware that we actually have a choice or a decision to make. The second is exploration. So starting to actually investigate and contemplate all of the various factors that are involved in this decision. That's what we usually think about when we talk about making decisions, is this phase of exploration. I need to decide. How do I decide? The third phase is what I call confluence. And this is where we actually make the decision. Or what I'll, what I'll propose or present that the decision happens. Things come together a decision becomes clear. One direction becomes clear. Confluence. Usually we stop there. (laughs) We stop looking. The next two phases are important. The next one is actual acting. Actually carrying out the decision. And as as I already mentioned, this is where the execution comes in. How skillful are we? in carrying out that decision. Then the last phase is reflection, which is looking back and learning, paying attention to how did that go? How did that go? What can I learn from this? If we don't do that, we're not going to actually refine our abilities to make better decisions. 
So these are the five things that we'll be covering today. Um, For each of them, I'll talk a little bit about it, kind of give you some ideas and some frames. Um, We'll do some kind of an activity that might be a a guided reflection. It might be a a writing exercise or a, a conversation with one or two other people. And um, we'll also talk about some of the key qualities that support each phase and some of the obstacles or stumbling blocks that can come up in each phase. So there's a lot uh, that I'll be sharing with you today, and I don't want you to feel like you need to kind of get all of it. If, uh, if you leave here with one or two things that you can work with and implement and sustain over time, that's going to have an impact. So as we go through things, if you start to get stressed out about getting it all, don't worry about it. It's being recorded. I'll send out some notes afterwards. Um, just listen for the things that actually really connect with you and then take those to heart and run with it. Okay, I've been talking for a... a a minute. Um, Any initial clarifying questions? Anything that's not clear at this point from uh, what I've shared so far? How are you doing? Good? Great. Yeah. Speech, uh, body, speech, and mind. Rose up at us, right? Right. So there's a lot of things our minds can think that we don't really right. have much control over. So how does that factor in? Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is where the teaching on intention is key. It's true. We don't we don't control the thoughts that come through our mind, just like we don't control the sounds that we hear, right? But we can control which ones we follow, and which ones we pick up, and and continue to turn over. Mm-hmm. That's that's where we make karma. Mm-hmm. So a thought comes through about like, what am I going to do tomorrow? Oh no, I'm worried about that. Yeah, I really need to be worried about that. I better think about that more. What am I going to think about that? And we start running and we start going with it. Yeah. Then that first thought just came up, but it's the second and the third and the fourth and the whole train. And what happens is it's like we um, like the image I have of it's like a, like a a, a a probe out in space mm-hmm. that's just kind of moving along. And then, and then there's little thrusters, and every thrust pushes it in a certain direction and adds certain momentum. Every time we push a thought, we pick it up, or we, we add a little bit more spin to it. We give it a little bit more momentum, and it's those pushes of intention that create uh, tendencies that reinforce patterns in our mind. And so, you know, if you read stuff about neuroscience, if you read Rick Hansen's work, or, you know, there's a lot that's being written about this and the overlap between meditation and neuroscience. And it's, it's all based in this understanding of neuroplasticity and the way that we can actually shape our minds with how we place our attention and what we, what we give attention to. So I, I want to, um, is that give you a, enough for the that, moment? That's good. I, I'm a little more specific and maybe a little nitpicky. But with like OCD, where you get these mm-hmm. thoughts that just spin and spin and spin, yeah. and often distressing to the person that's having mm-hmm. them. Uh, any comments on that? Uh, not for the moment. Okay. It's, I, I do have comments on it, but not at this stage in the day. Maybe we can come back to it later, because it's a very specific situation. There might be ways to work with it. Yeah. 
So um, maybe bring it back up again when we have a, just an open space for discussion. Great, thanks. So I want I want to die if, unless there's anything that's pressing that you feel like you you want to ask before we move on. I want to I want to dive into the first phase of awareness and say a few words about it and do an activity. So this is the great gift of mindfulness. When we're aware, we have choice. When we're not aware, we're on automatic. This is the basic principle of all contemplative practice. The more aware we are, the more choice we have in our life about how to respond to things. Do we want to let those habits run us or do we want to choose more consciously? Um, uh, One of the teachers in this community who's a a mentor of mine, Gil Fronsdale, tells a story of um, he spent some time training as a Zen monk and if you've ever done Zen practice um, or read anything about it, you'll know that it's a highly ritualized, very formalized practice. Everything you do is prescribed. You walk into the hall with your hands in a certain posture. You have to walk in with your left foot first. You come to the seat. You turn in a certain direction. You bow in a certain way. When you eat, there's a whole ritualized system for eating called orioki. Everything's very prescribed. And it's this training and paying very close attention to everything you do with your body. So he, he tells a story about how he trained in this way for, I don't know how long he was there for, if it was months or a year or longer. And then he came back to the United States and came back to his lay life. <clears throat> and after training in this way for so long, when the form was released, he didn't have to do anything any particular way. All of a sudden he noticed every single moment making a choice. Every single, how do I want to sit? How do I pick up my fork? How do I do this? How do I do that? So every moment we're making choices. We're just not aware of it. Usually it's just our mind is kind of taking care of things for us, running on the ways we've learned to do things. And for the most part, it tends to work okay. But the more awareness we have, the more choice we have. We train in this in meditation practice. So when you sit in meditation, and after 10 or 20 or 30 minutes, your knee starts hurting or your back starts hurting, <clears throat> the first few months or years of meditation practice, what's the, what's the response? You just go, right? There's that reaction to move. What we start to see in meditation practice is that that reaction, we don't need to follow it. That impulse As awareness grows, we see that impulse. We see that reaction to pull away from the uncomfortable, to shift. And awareness is strong enough that there's a moment, there's a pause between stimulus and response, right? And then we have a choice. Maybe we do move, but we do it consciously, mindfully, Okay, so just in our very meditation practice, we're training in awareness in this capacity to actually notice that we have a choice. I like to make a distinction when I teach about this. It's a little bit of semantics, but I find it helpful to talk about a difference between choices and decisions. I use the word choice to refer to 
day-to-day things. What should I have for breakfast? Um, do I want to look at my phone while I'm eating um, or not? Day-to-day mundane choices. The word choice, um, the root comes from, uh, if you go back far enough, an old English word that means uh, also has meanings of to taste or to try. So it's the sense of just tasting things, trying things out, going through the day. Decision, I use to refer to things that are more consequential, uh, on the clearly consequential. All of our choices are obviously consequential, but um, decisions have a sense of like, do I want to take this job? Do I want to go on this trip? Do I want to end this relationship or start this relationship? So things that have a larger um, weight in our lives. The word decision comes from the root um, meaning to cut. It has the same root as incision or precision. That's, that, that's, the root is side, C-I-D-E, decide, incision, precision. It's a sense of cutting. So there's a sense of taking a decisive action. So I use this word decision to talk about things where we're actually, it's like a fork in the road. And in general in our life, those forks in the road, the big ones, don't come up that often. There are different magnitudes, but the really big ones where there's like a, a, a shift, like a plate tectonic shift, don't come up so often in life. Recognizing that when we're aware, like even just having a choice to make, having a decision is a gift. Sometimes we can get stressed out about choices or decisions and not recognize that what a privilege to actually have a choice. Right? When we look at the material reality or conditions of our lives and think about others who don't have certain choices in terms of the conditions of their lives. But then also to recognize that with awareness, with mindfulness, we always have some degree of choice. And that's the choice of how we respond to things. That's the choice of how we're relating, how we're orienting towards what's happening. So, you know, many famous examples of um, people like Nelson Mandela, right, who in leaving prison after 27 years and sort of not being able to participate in major events in his, the life of his family, the death of his father, the graduation of his children, leaving prison and, you know, knowing inside, you know, saying, if I don't leave behind my bitterness when I walk out that, those doors, I'll still be in prison. That's an example of this kind of internal choice, how we relate to things and recognizing that we actually always have a choice. That's one thing that we can always choose when there's awareness, how we're relating to things. So in this domain of awareness, one of the things that's, uh, that's uh, so obviously mindfulness is the key quality for this. Um, the other thing that's very helpful is uh, knowing what our values are or having some sense of our own inner guidelines for our life. This can be very helpful. Uh, in the Buddhist tradition, the Buddha offers uh, a threefold map 
He says there are three things you should look at when you're faced with a choice or a decision. He's giving these instructions to his son. He said you should always reflect, is this for my welfare? Is this for the welfare of others? Will it lead to peace? Those are the three things. Will this help or harm me? Will this help or harm others? And where is it going? Is this going towards peace and well-being? So if you can say yes to all three, then do it. So like, what's your own template? Like, What are the values for you in your life? This is something that we can reflect on, that we can learn and discern that's, that's helpful for us. Common obstacles or pitfalls in this first phase of just being aware of decisions. The most common one is just ignorance. Just being on automatic, not noticing that we have a choice. Um, Believing the stories of obligation that we've been socialized to believe, I have to. We don't have to. You never have to. You always have a choice have to go to work. No, you're choosing to go to work because you want a place to live. You want to be able to pay your rent. It's a choice. But we don't make that choice consciously because we live in the story of have to. So anytime you notice the thought, I have to, that's delusion. That's ignorance. Bring awareness to it and recognize, am I making, why am I making this choice? So this is about empowering ourselves. And just that investigation itself can be transformative. Um, other obstacles um, can be just being busy and agitated. We're so busy and agitated that we don't actually see that we have choices. Um, and one of the great uh, myths about choices and decisions that can trip us up here um, is that having lots of choices will make us happy. That the more choices I have, the happier I'll be. More products in the supermarket, the, the, you know, the better it'll be, the happier it'll be. So believing that our happiness depends on having lots of choices rather than seeing that our happiness actually depends on how we're relating to things, where we're coming from. So what I'd like to do now is to um, shift into uh, an activity uh, on this first phase of awareness and um, have you reflect on uh, a question or two. So the questions are, and you don't have to choose all of these. I'll just put a few out there and choose the one that you want to explore. What choices do you overlook in your life? What are choices that you make every day that you overlook that you'd like to actually become aware of? Where would you like to bring bring more clarity or intentionality? That's one topic you could explore. The other topic is, um, what are your guiding values? So I offered one example of, you know, for the welfare of oneself, others, and leading to peace that comes out of the Buddhist tradition. What are your guiding values? What's your compass? Do you have one? Now, I'm going to give you some choices for how you'd like to explore this. So this is a you choose activity. Um, 
And what I want to say here is <clears throat> notice what comes up for you when you're, when you're given a choice rather than saying, now do this, right? Do you get anxious? Do you get excited? Do you want to do all of them? So rather than thinking you've got to get it right, <clears throat> remember your intention for the day, how you want to show up, and see if you can take this whole process of the activity as an exploration, as a learning. What can I learn from how I go about this activity? Is that making sense? So there's what you're going to be reflecting on, but there's also the process of how you choose to do it. So you might choose to just journal on your own. You might choose to do a silent reflection like we did earlier this morning where you just sit quietly and just turn over that que- one of these questions. Where would I like to bring more choice and intentionality to my life? Or what are my guiding values? You might choose to talk to someone else, two or three people, and have a small group and talk about it. Share, explore together. Or you might even choose to just walk and wander and just kind of let your mind explore this without actually having like, okay, I'm going to like think about this or I'm going to meditate on this or I'm going to talk about it. Just kind of like, where do I want to bring more choice in my life? Go look at a tree. Where do I want to bring more choice in my life? Intentionality. Feel the air. Just kind of be with it and just let yourself wander. So a few different options for how to explore this topic and bring some awareness to how you're choosing, how you're choosing this. Any questions about, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you the time frame uh, before we go. Any questions about what I'm inviting you to do? So it's, um, it's about 10.35. I'd like to take 10 minutes for this and then take our break. Okay, so um, take 10 minutes to 10.45 um, and then let's take... Uh, um, about a 10 to 15 minute break. Um, so think that your break ends at 10.55 so that we're actually all here sitting in the room ready to start at 11. Cool. Great. Have fun. Explore. If you want to connect with someone else, just you know, look around and find someone. Yeah. <laughs>